All right, Veloce, welcome back to Talking Points. Welcome to everyone who's watching on YouTube. If you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, welcome. Aldas is back reincarnated. You weren't here last week. Um, you did die, but you're back to life now. How are you feeling, mate? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I was back here last year. We were, uh, last week. What were you on about? We did the season review. No. What a fraud. No, you weren't. Okay, you're still sick. Um, but yes, today we've got something a little bit different. We've done our best to kind of include the viewers. We put a question out on Twitter. Aldas, what did we ask everyone on Twitter? And why have we got... Why have we got these on the table today? So we asked on Twitter, basically just pretty simply, what would you like to see change in Formula One? Because obviously 2022 is a big opportunity in terms of the cars, but fans always have just sometimes crazy ideas and we mm. might get into the, some of those crazy some very ideas. very sus ones here. Exactly, yeah. In terms of what you would see just like to be changed in Formula One. And then we're going to be kind of kind of ra uh, rating your changes and saying whether we're giving them a, a, a tick, a thumbs up or a no. So yeah, very sophisticated system going on here, as you can tell. Red is bad, but producer Matt did a very red is bad, a very average job on these. So well done, Matt. Bang average. Um, so shall we get in? I can feel the eyes bearing into producer the side of my Matt head. is fuming. Shall right we now. get into the first tweet? So again, we put the tweet out on the account. We both shared it. We got over five hundred responses. So thank you to everyone who gave your responses. Apologies, the four hundred and ninety. 485 who didn't get mentioned in this video. There was quite a few which didn't make the cut. Yeah, sorry, we can't include everyone. This video isn't going to be over an hour long. Not this time anyway. Unfortunately. So, let's crack on with the first. From Rob Wilson. Thank you, Rob. Uh, and this one got 427 likes. This one, I think, was the most liked out of any of them. And it's an interesting point. Introduce a spec quali car. Fastest driver gets pole. And then the race as normal. That way, if, for example, Mick now is a perfect lap, Mick Schumacher, instead of starting P19, he'll now start on pole in his Haas. Yes, he still won't win. But he gets the Saturday glory. Every grid will be different. Mmm, Rob, interesting point. I mean, Aldas, what's your first kind of... First thoughts, instincts on that one, mate. I love how bold it is. It's I mean, very just straight bold. up, you know, forget about, oh, you know, making little tweaks there. Maybe, you know, just straight up brand new almost cars, just spec series for qualifying. Put them all on the same. But just for qualifying. Yeah, exactly. Let's find out if Mazepin is actually quicker than Lewis Hamilton. Like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you never know. You never know. You but never know, um, I, guess. I actually do. I... The only thing about that, obviously, is like if we're being realistic, is like the cost, I think, for that might be quite high in terms of the teams running a completely almost different car. But in terms of the actual... Would um, it be the teams that would run that car, though? Or would that be provided by the FIA, potentially? I mean, someone has to run them. So, But I think that's like an extra cost. And it's kind of like Formula 1 is trying to obviously have a budget cap and save money. That's the only kind of the financial side of building brand new cars. And, you know, if they get crashed or they have to be replaced as well, who pays for that? Mm. Is it the teams who pay for that? Is, is, it part, is it part of their kind of strange budget cap? So apart from the financial kind of realities, I really do like this. I, I like putting uh, qualifying and putting everyone on a on a almost plain level field. Yeah. Level plan for level, yeah. Wrong way round, Aldas. Wrong way round. Um, no, I, he corrected it though. So, so I did, good. I did. I, 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 I get it. I like the 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 premise. I think this was another of producer Matt's ideas. Actually, is that is alternative, kind of a similar kind of thing, but having a quality mode for all cars that is a more standardised thing. Where it may be because obviously we know now all the engines have different horsepower outputs. You know, is there a way that maybe we restrict restrict that so all the cars have got the same output? Could level it up a little bit, obviously. Yeah, this... what power unit would be in these spec cars? Would it be all Mercedes? Would there be specific, like, the Mercedes drivers have the Mercedes power units and stuff Lada. like that? Larder. Larder. 
A lot think, of power units, yeah. I think Lada, I think bring them into F1 yeah, as an engine supplier for the spec car only. I like the premise in, I don't think it, it'd work in application, but the idea I think is really, there's definitely something in this idea. I don't yeah. know if this is the execution. I just I'm, love how- I'm giving it one of these. I'm giving it, yeah, I'm giving it, don't get me wrong. It would be a difficult one, but- I like it. And most of the comments were actually positive, which doesn't tend to happen on Twitter very often. So never. Clearly, Rob, you've done a good thing, mate. So well done. Um, we like it, yeah. Yeah, not bad, not bad. On to the next uh, from Ondra. Thank you, Ondra. Uh, if F1 really cares about the environment and saving costs, the calendar should be made to limit travel as much as possible, not, for example, to go from Turkey to Japan to America and then back to Asia. This would save more money and emissions than F1 going hybrid electric. This I think this is a good one because I do definitely think obviously F1 is a global sport. Yep. So inherently and obviously um teams have their bases and most of you know seven of the teams are based in the UK and the rest are based in Europe. Um I do think there is definitely more F1 can do to make a calendar that is, you know, uh, for example putting Canada and US together and having it in a way that the teams don't need to travel back home. I do think if if we if F1 wants to, and it seems to have been making a lot of noise that it wants to, you know, tackle this, you know, environment and sustainability issue head on. I think, you know, it, it's all well and good making the cars, you know, more electric, blah blah blah, like having. That. But but the cars themselves are a fraction of the overall kind of yeah. impact of Formula One. So I do think it's that, much wider than just the two and a bit hours or one exactly. and a bit hours of racing that happens on a, a Sunday. And more considered thinking around this kind of stuff, I think is important. I do get that. And the way he's phrased it, the calendar should should be made to limit travel as much as possible. But it kind of is because, again, it's not easy. We have, it's not just about, oh, which countries are closer. Let's just connect the dots that way. It's all about whether it's all about the TV channels when the TV networks, when they can actually show those races, the time of day as well. And we do kind of have... I mean, Formula One, as much as they can, we have a European leg, which we've just finished. We're going to be going, or we're going to be finishing uh, the European leg with both uh, Zandvoort and Monza and Spa. And then we're going to be going into the um, to the American and Asian leg as well, with the likes of Japan mm. and Singapore. Or, you know, we, obviously races can get cancelled. It's a bit of a strange issue at the moment because yeah, there's obviously. still some races that we don't know if they're even going to be going forward. But we do have the American leg as well, Mexico, and of course, uh, Texas as well. So with Austin and... I do think there is, it's such a difficult thing though with the calendar. It's not as simple as just going, let's just always do the races which are the closest. Because for example, as part of the American leg, there's a very big difference between going to Canada on uh, in September and going to, again, Austin, Texas in September. Like mm. the weather difference is massive. So I do, it, there is definitely something that Formula One needs to do and needs to look at better. But I do feel like they're there's trying- There's more they could do. There's more they can do, but yeah, I, I do. So. I like the idea, but I feel like it's it's so difficult to go even more than where we are now. Mm, I, I I think you're right. There are look, the way we have certain legs built in. Obviously, yeah. again, you know, say for example, you were to say that okay, so for the uh, so for the Asian leg of the the you know the Grand Prix um, calendar, would you you know have all them races back to back? so that teams aren't having to travel and, and build in a way that the teams don't have to all travel back to the UK and to, you know, yeah. to Switzerland where Alfa Romeo and, and to Italy. Um, but at the same time, then you've got to think about the staff, um, the mechanics, you know, giving them time to, it is difficult with a global sport, but it's a long calendar and that's yeah. definitely something that's definitely something in terms of so many races. I'm not a fan of that. I feel like, 
20 races. Quality over quantity. Exactly. And uh, to be fair, obviously, this year we're going to Saudi Arabia. And again, they didn't add it in between like Monza and Spa. They added it, I think it was right before Abu Dhabi as well. Mm. And it also comes into the fact that some races like Abu Dhabi in in particular, they pay Formula One to be the final race, to be the grand finale. And obviously, when you have, if you kind of remove, um, if you kind of remove Saudi Arabia for just a bit, we do have that kind of going from Brazil to Abu Dhabi. So that's a really long way away. Maybe that could kind of be changed. But some of these tracks pay a lot of money to be the grand final or even to be the first race of the season. So it isn't easy for sure. I like this idea. I'm giving it. I'm giving it a thumbs up because I feel like mm. I, I know exactly where the, where this is going, and I agree with it. But it's not as easy as it sounds. Exactly. I couldn't agree more, Aldas. You've literally hit the nail on the head, buddy. Um, but thank you, Andra. On to the next from Multi21. Great name. Uh, introduce a lottery starting grid. Have the drivers randomly swap cars so you may have Bottas trying out a Red Bull or <clears throat> Perez in a Mercedes for one practice run. Isn't that right Uh I mean, Hamilton in a Haas. I'd love to see it. Yeah. Verstappen in a Williams. I mean... Imagine the scenes like George Russell in a Mercedes. Oh, wait, that's don't worry about that. It's happening very soon. <laughs> Not happened yet. Not confirmed yet. I mean, as mad as this idea is, is this is very F1 2028 career mode. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Um, Arava is going to be putting a series out about this, no doubt. Probably. <laughs> this is a comic, content coming to a channel near you, but. Um, again, I like the boldness. I like where he or she is going, but. I'm not a big fan of that because I feel like, I mean, there's a reason why we have drivers to specific teams. Like, and we almost have this connection. Like when you think of Verstappen, you think of Red Bull. When you think of Hamilton, you think of Mercedes. And if they were swapping cars all the time, Mm. like it wouldn't really make that much sense. And I don't think it's also realistically, even sponsor wise, I don't think it's actually like realistic to make this happen. I like the boldness of it, but I'm Um, not sure. Look, F1 is a team sport and it's, it's easy to forget that. It's easy to get caught up in the individual, but ultimately, you know, Max is as big a part of that Red Bull team as Adrian Newey is, as Christian Horner is, as, and obviously the driver is the outward facing part and arguably the the most important part. And the one that gets all of the pressure and all of the scrutiny and criticism or most of it anyway. Very true. Um, And as soon as you start kind of mixing that up, you know, I I like the fact that drivers are attached to their teams to to different extents and and they're part of those teams. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm all for like an all-star F1 race at the end of the yes. year. There was, I can't remember, um, I, I, saw, I saw something about, which is an interesting suggestion. We've just come off the end of the Olympic season, talking about, you know, having a spec series where the best drivers jump into. I mean, I don't know if drivers' egos are a bit too, you know, <laughs> in terms of like, getting, exactly. you know, you don't want to be, if you're in a spec series and you know they're all in the same car and you're at the back, you're not going to take too kindly to that. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of ulterior motives, shall we say, that there's a lot of people and companies and teams that are probably against a a spec series. But in terms of this, again, um, but even the random side, like what happens if you get unlucky? I'm guessing this is like, you yeah. can only be one car at a time. You can't, you can't like have multiple times in a house. And what if you vandalize the car because it's your... Yeah, you again, know. like, again, I like the boldness. I like the fact that it's out there. But for me, it's a no. Sorry, Multi21. That was a terrible incident back in the day. And yeah, the idea is not my cup of tea. Now, equally, equally terrible? Next for... <laughs> yeah, Sorry, of. I'll... <laughs> Steven, now, Steven's put a lot here. Um, there was one in particular though, so more teams, less regulations. The one that I wanted to pick out particularly here was at least three variable tracks each year. Definitely not the sprinklers. Are you Bernie Eccleston? That's a Bernie, yeah. That's very Bernie. This is Bernie's burner account. Um, 
variable tracks. Now, by ver variable tracks, I'm assuming what Stephen means is that each year there are certain you know locations. So, example, for example, say the British Grand Prix wasn't always at Silverstone. Say every other year it was at Silverstone, and then maybe the other race would be at Brands Hatch GP. Or the German Grand Prix in the early 2000s, we had at, we had uh, Hockenheim and we also had the Nürburgring and it Indeed. kept alternating in different years. And there's loads of great tracks actually. Germany's really got like loads that. to pick from. Um, yeah. I think it's a great idea. I'm a big fan of this and I feel like there's almost an opportunity here that in an ideal universe for me, um, you know, 20, uh, 20 races I think is enough and one of those 19, almost like we have now because the Australian Grand Prix I think is off now and that slot mm -hmm. is at the moment to be confirmed and I actually quite like the idea of every single season that's that one slot almost having where can we go next mm. you know Mugello Imola Nürburgring Hockenheim so like just that. have it almost alternating that one slot changing every single year yeah I quite like that I think that's the sound of it in terms of what would maybe be even the... Indy 500 or like Ooh, that'd be cool back to Indianapolis in one of those in just in one of those slots for like one season. yeah that would be cool. I mean, I, I think kind of what would the, the stumbling blocks that would get in the way of that are all commercial, you know, rights. I mean, Silverstone, for example, aren't going to want to give up their British Grand Prix. Yeah. Because and it kind of goes back to that travel as well. Like if you're going to throw in, you know, an Imola after a Brazil or something like, again, it kind of goes against what we talked about in terms of travel. Yeah. I, th I think, yeah, commercially would kind of get in the way of it. But I can like go into more tracks, more variety. There's loads of circuits that aren't on the F1 calendar that people want. Sepang, yeah. Kyle Army, like... Oh, Sepang. We need, we need that back. There's so, there's so many fantastic circuits around. I like it. To be fair, even commercially, you talk about it being difficult and again, yeah, massive thumbs tick. up. I love tick. tick. Love that. But even commercially, last year in 2020, when Formula One were given the task of, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and we have to organise an F1 together, calendar, yeah. they did it. Yeah. And I think like when given a task, I think they can do it. So yeah. although there are stumbling blocks, I think they can get through it. Again, good like idea. It. Like it. On to the next from Josh. Two words. Smaller cars. I like it. Now, stuck this one in because obviously 2022 regulations, the cars <clears throat> are slightly smaller. They're slightly uh, shorter. There's the same width, though, pretty much yeah. as current. Now, obviously, F1 cars in this current generation are much bigger than they were at times. Also, back in the yeah, I'm, when we went to went to that Silverstone Museum, I remember seeing some of the old, uh, like early nineties, uh, like late eighties cars, and they're actually huge. They're huge, much yeah. bigger than I thought they'd be. Um, so I don't think it's a. I, I think that the size problem has, um, with current F1, has aligned also with an overtaking problem, um, which they kind of go side by side, but also the dirty air <clears> thing. <throat> you can argue that a bigger car punches a bigger hole in the air, so yeah. you can slipstream a bit better. Like, I think. Yes, I definitely think the cars are. I'm I'm disappointed the F, the, the 2022 cars aren't smaller, but I and don't they're know heavier it, as well. Is that a safety thing? Maybe I'm it not sure. is. I'm uh, big big tick for me. I really do miss those kind of late 2000s, the Schumacher, Alonso, Renault, like those tiny cars that they also had their overtaking problems. By the way, let's not you know think that that was mm. like a golden era of overtaking. Like there there were still problems then. But I'm a big fan of those cars or those dimensions in particular. But the biggest problem is there's a very good reason why these cars are getting bigger and heavier. And it's mostly down to safety because the crumple zones are getting bigger. They're trying to protect the driver even more, adding the halo, just adding more carbon fiber. And it is all to do with safety. The power units as well, because there was a big size difference between 2009 and 2010, because in 2010, they uh, reintroduced um, no refueling. Mm -hmm. So the cars got bigger because of the fuel tanks. It's exactly the same now. So you've got the fuel tanks, the big power units as well. So 
the reason why, and it is sadly the reason why the cars are so big is that because the regulations are just like that. Mm. And with advances to safety, I don't think we're ever really going to get back to those kind of small, nimble, just absolute rocket ships that, mm. you know, Lewis and um, and Schumacher obviously drove as well and Kimi and when he was at Ferrari or in the first stint at Ferrari. So I don't think we're going to get back to there, but I do really want to see that. Like that is, at least make them a tiny bit smaller and lighter because that's the point of good racing cars. Yeah, I mean, I, I, must, I must admit, I think I've kind of changed my perspective on this because to be honest for this one i'm, I'm gonna go no because ultimately we're gonna disagree on this but i i, I just think that <clears throat> you know there's more that can be achieved in terms of dirty air that's going to help passing i get for tracks like monaco a smaller car would obviously like help overtaking significantly but at most circuits i think monaco is a bad example because again even no, that that's example, what i mean it's an outlier yeah monaco is an outlier I, I think most circuits most most proper purpose-built circuits i think if the regulation changes do what they're meant to do, which is massively decreasing the amount of dirty air that kicks, that's kicked off the back of cars, hopefully we won't need DRS anymore. But also, I don't necessarily think because again, like right, you know, the cars were huge back in the you know late eighties, early nineties, yeah, and we still had we had great racing then. I don't think it's a small car problem. I think it's more of an aerodynamic problem. So I, but at the and, same and, time, and the fact that smaller cars would be less safe, just purely in terms of the amount of mass that is around the driver i don't think making cars smaller is necessarily the answer as much as i'd like to see them smaller i don't think it's realistic so for me it's not just for me it's not just me. dirty air though because that's everyone throws that around because everyone talks about that that was still a problem by the way in the 80s and 90s people act as if that didn't exist yeah back but not then. to the same extent because the cars were i mean look at how intricate <clears throat> the aerodynamic yes because aerodynamics the reason, on modern cars is but it doesn't matter and that's the thing i I'm looking forward to seeing the actual numbers on these 2022 cars because I'm not sure if I agree with Formula One with some of the things that they've said because when you're racing... Audacity is better than Ross Braun confirmed. Exactly. When you're racing at 180, 190 miles an hour, it doesn't matter how aerodynamic your car is, that is going to punch a massive hole and that is going to cause a lot of disturbance. It doesn't matter how aero-efficient you are. That is just a fact of racing and you can't change the laws of physics. So... It's one of those things where I get what you mean from the from a car like size perspective, but are the cars almost outgrowing the tracks now? That's the only thing. Are the cars almost too quick or are they not right for the tracks that we go to? I mean, to? Suzuka 130R is flat now. It's flat now, Maybe yeah. It used to be. No, the cars are just so fast now. There's a good argument for that, but I'm still saying no. We're going um, to de debate this after we finish the we video. We are, we are. Of course we are. We always do. Thank you, Lee Barry. No team orders, reverse grids. Now, this one straight away made me think of Fernando is faster than you. Um, no team orders, I think the premise sounds great, but... How, I disagree is, with that, how yeah. can we enforce that? And even then you get to these awkward situations where, okay, let's take it perfect. That Fernando is faster than you. So Felipe Massa was miles. So there's no team orders and the FIA are just completely having a massive crackdown. Fernando is going for the title and he's in second place and Felipe is in first. Like as a team boss, even Toto Wolff in Russia in 2018, only one driver is going to win the championship mm. and you've got to give him the best possible opportunity to do so. I mean, that's part of being it's a, a team, team sport. It's a team sport. And the thing is. is about second drivers is that they're great drivers. You know, all of these guys, Bottas, Barrichello, Weber, whatever, they're all great drivers, but they're not that upper top echelon to the point where they're always challenging their number one teammates. And mm. there's a reason why they're second drivers. Yeah, I I, I, I agree, actually. I, I think that I haven't got fundamentally an issue with team orders because it is a team sport. And I'd rather it being open like it is now. Yeah. Like, I'd rather the team orders being open so we know when someone, instead of, you know, Fernando is faster than you or what we saw in Austria in 2002. Yeah. A horrible situation yeah. where Barrichello had to, like, get off the throttle. But on he the didn't final have lap. to. 
He chose to. Actually, it was mm, it was in his contract, actually, and it was kind of worded because I saw a podcast about this. Basically, the way they word happened. it is that you have to you have to follow team in terms of like team instructions for the better of the team. Now it's also He chose to sign the contract. He chose to sign the contract and the paycheck <laughs> and get the car as well. But it's still not great when they try to hide it. No, I, I think you could argue that team orders, you know, where does that stop? Because for example, when, you know, back in the day when Weber and Vettel were teammates, when Vettel was given Weber's front wing and he wasn't told. Like that that's, was yeah. That's as much of a in terms of a team order, in terms of the teams manipulating the result to uh, or do, doing what they can to manipulate events yeah. to work out in their favour in terms of one driver or the other. I think that's always going to exist throughout, whether it's on the radio. I definitely, I agree with that, or... but that's a different conversation than team orders. Like when we saw when, because obviously in 2010, team orders were banned and that's why Ferrari, I think, Yeah, but what's fine. the purpose of, t uh, when we say team orders, it's the team trying to, you know, enforce a you know an impact on the race and whether that is through telling you know Barrichello to let Schumacher pass whether it is moving parts around ultimately the team has you know the driver just gets in the car sets it up to their best and, and sits in it but the team you know we can talk about you know what I'm sure there's plenty of drivers at the moment who are getting priority to, um, treatment over their teammates just because it's not on the radio doesn't necessarily yeah. mean it's not happening i guess that's that's just my argument but that's just fighting for a championship i suppose it's an it's an interesting one i like where formula one is now because even though we do still have team orders at least it's open at least mm. we kind of know about it like when um valtteri bottas had to let lewis hamilton pass in silverstone mm. it was because valtteri was making absolutely no inroads on charles leclerc mm. and lewis hamilton capitalized on it yeah but so at least it's open when bottas well was meant to let him pass at catalonia he didn't make it easy did he well, maybe he was fighting for a seat. You never know. Maybe he was. Um, and then reverse grids. I mean, I'm not a fan of that. It's no, not for um, me. Bo both of those, yeah, too no. artificial. Um, but I, I get it, though. I get it. On to the next. Um, from MJB DCA, <laughs> uh, cars that don't explode into a blizzard of carbon fiber bits with the slightest contact. Are the cars too delicate these days, Aldas? I guess that's the question. No. <laughs> <laughs> When these things happen, I think people forget they're not crashing at 10 miles an hour. Like when you're, I mean, what do you want to make a car? There's a reason why they're, first of all, made out of carbon fiber, both for performance and safety reasons as well, because it kind of absorbs. And the entire point about them crumbling mm -hmm. is because they absorb the energy. So not as much of it goes onto the driver. And so there's a safety reason for that. But again, when we see these massive crashes, like they happen at quick speed. Like even mm. when uh, Valtteri, I think, was uh, locked up in Hungary, like mm. he must have been going like at 100 miles an hour or mm. at least 90 miles an hour. So when Valtteri Bottas in Hungary locked up, I mean, he was still going like easily 90 or 100 miles an hour. So mm. when you crash into someone and the car is made out of carbon fiber and it has to be made out of that, it's always going to happen. It's just a consequence and it's just something that we have to deal with, I think. Well, and I think it's a big consequence. It's just open wheel racing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, if, if you want to watch racing where people rubbing and, and touching all the time and, and rarely DNFing through those kind of, you know, innocuous touches. Then you've got touring cars, you've got GT cars. GTM. There's a lot of series that offer that. Even like, you know, endurance cars, obviously they have the wheels covered for yeah. aerodynamic purposes. Um, F1 could do that. They could cover the wheels. That would be, I mean, hence why we've got the little fins over the 2022 because the amount of dirty air that actually comes off the tyres is pretty significant. But again, that's more for aero than like to keep them in. So it's Yeah, kind of... I mean, I, I don't have an issue with there being, um, personally, in F1, like, yes, I know that sometimes the most, in, like when Ocon got his front wheel taken out by Giovinazzi at, at Red Bull, that was such a just a little yeah. touch. Yet, you know, Lewis and Max can come together at 180 miles an hour and Lewis is still able to carry on with no 
significant damage that puts him out of the race, which is, you know, sometimes <laughs> these things, sometimes it's surprising how actually much stick the cars can take. I think for me, sometimes it's surprising in both ways, though, in terms of how yeah, much punishment they can take, but also just the slightest of touches. And I go back to the Leclerc and Vettel crash in Brazil 2019. Like that yes. looked like just the slightest of touches. Both of them were out. So again, so I don't have a, I mean, I don't have a problem with that yeah, because sorry. it's just a consequence of racing in Formula One. Yeah, and, and again, I'm I'm quite happy. I don't want I don't want it to be bumper cars. I I I, I like the fact that you know you, drivers are risking and they know that you know if they go for a move and it doesn't work out, they might end up out of the race. But for me, that's kind of part and again, of there's a reason why they're made of carbon fiber and not like exactly, steel. exactly. On to the next anyway. Thank you, Rory. <laughs> Get rid of all the driver aids and put them in charge of their own destiny. Now. I'm straight away. I think there's way too much hand-holding. No. Ooh, interesting. I don't just think in driver age, but in terms of like driver coaching, all this kind of stuff, I think yep. I want to see the drivers having as much of a direct impact. Now you can obviously, you can argue, you know, when does a driver aid stop? What is a steering, steering wheel is technically a driver aid because it helps you get around the track. But I think there is too much kind of artificial interference, if you ask me. Why is that though? I mean, what... Why does Formula One have that? You tell me. The reason for that is because these cars, they're not, they are so complicated. They are unbelievably complicated. I mean, even in 2016, do you remember just something, just something really simple, a radio ban. And I remember, I think it was Baku in 2016 where, you know, where they had a radio ban. Lewis Hamilton couldn't actually even restart his power unit because they were, it went into the wrong mode or well, they had an issue. He should have done his own work, shouldn't they? And he's, and he's literally running about. Okay, Nico Rosberg <laughs> then, just I think a couple of races later. And should have he. Nico Rosberg had like a gearbox issue and he wasn't able to put it back into the right mode because it, the cars are now so complex in terms of just not even like the mechanical side, just the, even the electronics and stuff like that. Like there is a very good reason why the wheel has like unbelievable amounts of buttons. And when you say, I mean, the drivers at the end of the day, they're still the drivers. They're still the ones that are experiencing the G force and they're still the ones that are put into danger. Let's not act as if they just jump in and the car kind of drives it for themselves. Like, I get what that question means, but at the same time, the, the reason why there is so many driver aids is because of safety, because of how complex these cars are. And I don't think we're going to be able to get away from that because otherwise we're just going to get into a situation where drivers are running around not knowing how to fix their cars. I, I get it in terms, I think certain, when we're saying driver aids, I think, you know, I think the implication with, with the question is more like, you know, stuff like traction control, like stability management, things that actually will stop but a driver cars, spinning. I don't think they do have traction control I'm, I'm, I can't, to be honest, I'm not sure of the exact extent. I, I think performance-based driver aids, I definitely think should be and again i'm not 100 percent sure what to what extent we have yeah them I, i'd in like the current to actually cars. know the specifics from this question because yeah. they even made uh race starts even more manual like mm. they made them even harder yeah, and that's what i mean like i think that's a good i think that's a positive move a anything we can do to make the experience more manual i, I get with certain things like like the safety things you're alluding to and all that I, I get that from that point of view but i do think we should you know i mean there's been er past eras in f1 where you know it was very very you know the cars were arguably in some ways more complicated complicate yeah back in like the i think it was like early 90s even with like the suspension and yeah, stuff in yeah, early yeah. 2000s i remember they had like fernando alonso had like this crazy uh traction control system at the beginning mm. of races and that's why his starts were so amazing but we went away from that so i'd want to know specifically what he kind of means because the cars now don't have traction control they don't have obviously abs the drivers lock up yeah and even the race starts are 
to me, this is not really a problem because when you hear Lewis Hamilton like come on the radio at Mercedes and he's like absolutely, even in Hungary where mm. he was just absolutely exhausted, like mm. does that look like someone who's been just being coached the entire time? Like to me, yeah, this is kind of like a non-issue. Like the drivers are doing a lot. Well, red. I, st I still agree with the ultimate point, but I'm not sure how many we actually have. But anyway, on to the next. Thank you, Linghesh. Uh, make it more affordable and accessible from a grassroots level. I know there are steps... Um, I know there's steps of it is more needed. Now, obviously, again, this is a, a wider point in terms yeah. of accessibility into Formula One, um, like diversity of, of backgrounds of people getting into Formula One. I mean, I always wanted to be a Formula One driver, racing driver, but Me never too. had the money. Yeah, um, never and, happened. And the it thing might is, still, the dream is still alive, ladies and gentlemen. The dream is still alive. Look, Veloce have a racing team. Maybe the yep. extreme EC. You I'm going to get some funding, like some billionaires from Russia or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you'll be fine. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think you know accessibility into motorsport is obviously a huge issue. I've you know I've spoken to numerous kind of young drivers who have had to you know had to get out and find alternative career paths because they haven't been able to able to sustain people who've been very good and impressive in junior categories. Yeah, not able to. You know, th there isn't. I know, I know Lewis uh, is you know, with his Hamilton commission, um, he's trying to put some steps in line. I do think though, like it's a racing car. It's not a football. It's not a tennis ball. Like inherently it's going to be more expensive. And I do think there is only so much we can do to make it more accessible, but I do think we still can and we shouldn't. There's greater try. support that needs to come from the FIA or not maybe the FIA because, but just Formula One, Formula One and the drivers and the teams, they need to be, I think Red Bull, again, they were pioneers in the fact that they funded so many young drivers. And even though yep. some of them didn't make it into Formula One, they gave just having that Red Bull backing and just mm. having that Red Bull money got them so far. So, yeah. but I feel like the teams need to do more for sure in Formula One in general. But yeah, racing, it's one of those horrible kind of, it's just inherently so expensive because I think Karun Chanok said that Formula Ford in the early 2000s, I think it was like 200,000 pounds for a season or something like that. Like now it's like a million at that kind of level. I think F2 is 2 million a year. 2 million I euros think. a year. Like that is crazy. And even at like lower karting level, you know, you need a new set of tires every race and it's like in the hundreds of pounds for a new set of tires. And this is a, you know, this is a eight, nine, 10 years old. And it's like, how can you expect people who don't have financial backing, financial privilege to, to, to get any opportunities? Again, I think there is only so much we can do, but also like I agree in the same way that I think there's a responsibility for top tier football leagues like the Premier League to, and they do help to try and kind of, uh, you know, financially stimulate grassroots football because there is so much money in the Premier League. I think as Formula One grows as a brand and it seems to be and getting a broader audience, more races, more money coming in. I think there is a responsibility on Formula One as the top tier motorsport. Yeah. Okay. To you know, to, to try and support grassroots and, and get more people and in, I, involved, you know? I almost go back to the teams because I feel like they have maybe an even bigger responsibility because there's one thing being backed by Formula One, but when you're backed by a team, it's almost even more. And I feel like almost maybe in the future, it could be part of the budget cap, like mm. maybe two to three or five million has to go towards backing young drivers that maybe can come to your team. Like, I mean, you know, they can, they can work that out in terms yeah. of how that works. I'm not necessarily saying that contractually you have to have young drivers but maybe two or three every four or five years yeah. but you have to back some drivers as part of your budget cap yeah and again the more you stimulate grassroots the more people are going to be watching and be interested yeah i like it i, I it's an big, it's yeah. a big it's, tick. it's a multifaceted problem um but there is definitely more i think f1 and teams could be doing the teams sure. need to be more accountable at you know providing those grassroots opportunities agreed agreed 
Next treat from the messy one. Refueling, one word. Interesting. So no. when Straight when away, did, no. When did we lose refueling? 2009. Was it 2009? Yeah, when yeah. Jensen Button won in the... In the brown. Um, so obviously it was dropped on safety grounds, wasn't it? There was a few dodgy incidents. A f- more than a few. I mean, all the way back to the Verstappen, what was that, 1995 yes, in Hockenheim? Yoss, yeah. uh, obviously not Max. Uh, that would have been a bit young. Uh, but yeah, like, I mean, again, was it Felipe Massa in Singapore in 2008? There was al- there's always been... Yeah, fuel is one of those things, absolute massive no. I think the cars are fine where they are. I feel like almost the fuel aspect, although I don't like that they have to save as much fuel, I think like it's a part of racing and for the better of the safety, I no, I'm not a big fan of refueling. Yeah, I, I think that there is, you know, technology with ICs and hybrid combinations as well as, you know, we're moving to maybe using more biofuels and all that. I don't think there is a necessity like we're getting cars, you know, 75 laps out of a car on a what 110 litre fuel tank. Um, well, not if you're Aston Martin. Topical. Um, but no, I, I don't think re- refueling should be a necessity. I, I get that. I like that it's another thing that can not, when I say go wrong, I don't want it, everyone's cars to be going up in flames because they've messed up a fuel stop. But what I mean, it's another, in, in terms of like, it's the same reason I, I don't want, um, you know, I don't want tire changes to be made less manual. I like yeah. the fact. And it's another point of, you know, some one team might take five seconds to refuel, one might take six. But also I love the quick pit stops. Because back in the day with refueling, you could they could just take their time with the tires. Yeah, even we could do it. Like, yeah, even we could do no it. No problem. The one thing I will admit, I'm I'm not gonna lie, refueling would add an extra an extra something, an extra strategical point within it the would. races. But for me, the the cons outweigh the like the payoff yeah, isn't it, worth it. The cons just outweigh the pros in my opinion. Like the the safety aspect and the fact that things can go wrong and we're trying to make Formula One as safe as possible. I'm not a big fan of it. It's a it's a no from me. Yeah. I, the refueling was a nice little moment in Formula One, but for me it's a no. Yeah, you'd have to make the fuel tank smaller because the engines are already so efficient. You can't make the engines less efficient just to burn more fuel. That'd yeah. be silly. But no, sorry, it's, it's a no from us, I'm afraid. Uh, then on to Laura. Thank you, Laura. The amount of gatekeeping going on from older slash experienced fans towards younger, less experienced fans. Now, I think obviously, you know, Drive to Survive has brought in a lot of new fans to Formula One. I know personally, like I've, a lot of people that I know and my kind of socials have got into F1 through that, or I've recommended, they've heard about what I do and I've recommended yeah. Drive to Survive to them. There is a lot of new fans, but also, yeah, and I think this exists in any sport um, where you have fan bases. Um, it is it is a shame the amount of kind of you know I think I just want more people involved. I think you know there's a place for every type of Formula One fan out there. Whether you're super detailed and into the intricacies, whether you're you know more into the racing itself, wheel to wheel, or more into like the driver characters and personalities. I yeah. think there's a room for um, room for everyone, and I definitely think that this is a a problem that irks me. I think it's also a bit of a social media issue as well, because at the end of the day, every single Formula One fan was young at one point and naive and didn't know a thing about F1. But as you watch over the years, as you get even more interested, maybe you do go into that super like detailed, you know, knowing the technical side or just following the drivers. Mm. That's totally fine. And I feel like it is a bit of a generational thing when if someone doesn't see your viewpoint in Formula One, if someone's not like as crazy about F1 as you are, then they're just like a fake fan or there's this whole like DTS fan, which I just absolutely hate. Like it's... I mean, some people just embrace it and just like almost go into the joke like, yeah, I'm a DTS fan. But for the most part, I definitely agree with this. And I think it's a big social media issue in general, like especially yeah. on Twitter. I see it all the time. It's like the, the tribalism of, you know, human beings are 
tribal creatures. And yeah. there's a reason that I was so happy that Esteban Ockham won and I go so mad at West Ham. You know what I mean? And you, don't, you do it, Everton. Like, it's... Um, it's know, hard. It, it, it's something that I think we're all kind of, you know, it's it's part of sport. And, but um, how would you deal like... Okay, so we say these things, but how would you deal with it? Because for me, I do just... If someone, you know, I if there is an older fan who's like, oh, you don't know this, you don't know that. To, for the most part, I do just ignore them. But I also do educate myself on Formula One if I do feel like my knowledge is lacking in that particular area. I mean, I, I think it's just a matter of kind of respectfully, like calling out when you see people, you know, talking down to others who they consider, oh, you're not a proper fan, blah, blah, blah. It's just be like... Just, you know, again, like you said, we, we all started in the same place. You know, we weren't all, we didn't all come out of the womb, Formula One fans. It doesn't work like that. Like we, we grew into it and built into it and whatever, whether that was when you were, you know, seven, eight years old and your mum or your dad or your aunt or your uncle or your brother or your sister got you into F1 or whether you're, you know, in your, in your 40s and you've just watched Ride to Survive and yeah. you, you found yourself really engrossed in it, you know, there's a... They're, different people get into the sport in different ways and different yeah. people enjoy Formula One for different reasons. And that's fine. Like, we, we should all be pulling in the same direction because we're all what unites us, I think. Which, again, the sport has an incredible power to unite, but also to divide. Yeah. And it's like one of them where, you know, we should all, should all be pulling in the same direction because, you know, we all love the sport. Basically, um, just be respectful to everyone online and stop being such a mug. There you go. Very well put out, us. Yes. Very well put. Uh, thank you, H. Oh, it's head head case, but with let um, numbers instead of letters. Mental. Um, I don't know what that was all about, but yeah. I like it. Thank you. Uh, whoever causes crash has to pay for damage of all the teams involved. Now, this is quite topical for two reasons: a, because obviously <clears throat> after what happened at Silverstone, and um, but also. I'll leave the floor to you, Adas, because you were ranting about this earlier um, off screen. So what do you make of this one, mate? Absolutely no. I, this is Show us the paddle, come on. No, red. <laughs> Disagree. First of all, the only reason people are even talking about this is because it started to affect <clears throat> the top teams. Now, facts. at the same time, obviously, I know the budget cap wasn't part of this, but when Roman Grosjean in 2018 in Spain had his spin and took about three or four cars out, I didn't see anyone saying anything there. When Charles Leclerc took out Pierre Gasly, and I think it was Austria, was the mm -hmm. first race. I, I didn't see Ferrari, you know, going to Alpha Tauri and fronting them the bill that they basically took out their best driver and probably out of a good result as well. The only reason this is coming to light now is because of part of the cost cap. And the one thing I do think we have to remember is that although the cost cap is at like 135 million or something, that doesn't necessarily mean that all of the smaller teams are even able to get up to that. Like Mercedes and Red Bull have to yeah. almost come down to it. The likes of Williams and Haas maybe aren't even able to get a, a mm -hmm. budget of 135 million. So, yeah, just from that aspect, I don't like it. And then even in the whole, you know, even if a driver is fully at fault, like, how will the FIA police that? Because there's one thing about saying, oh, you know, this driver was at fault for this incident. But then to give it a monetary value in terms of, right, you have to pay that now for that damage. And it also opens up a, such a murky line in terms of, yeah, what about if Red messy. Bull? Okay, Bottas has took out... Perez or whatever. What about if Red Bull start replacing parts and say, oh, you know, just by accident, you know, these were damaged, we don't want to risk it. Mm. Mercedes pay even more. Like, it opens up such a murky line. There is so many just, yeah, I do not like it at all. Unfortunately, crashing is part of racing. It always has been and it always will be. Like, that's the thing. It, that's just what happens when you have such competitive drivers going at such high speeds. And this is so hard to police. So yeah, I'm just, yeah, I ran over, but I am not a fan of it. Absolutely not. <laughs> Can you tell? This is only just started because of the top teams. Like, let's actually flip it the other way. Like if Sergio Perez crashes out, you know, crashes out Lewis Hamilton, our Mercedes are, you know, our Red Bull going to start going, oh yeah, don't worry, we'll pay you because, you know, you, you crashed us earlier on in the season. No. 
I mean, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it I'm does. fuming, by the way. I'm sorry M- about that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe there is some kind of uh, out there motorsport I've never heard of that has a model like this. But I'm not aware of any motorsport. I don't know. Maybe there is. But that has this kind of system. Because you're right. It's just too... It gets way too complicated, way too murky. And again, how are you, um, you know... Okay, say say there's an incident that some people are saying is 50-50, some people are saying it's 70-30, some people are saying it's 100 to 0. It's like, well, where's the in between? Then like- the FIA is going to be every single because this thing every single incident. So say for example, right? Someone like you were saying with Pierre Gasly and Charles Leclerc. Say that Pierre doesn't retire, but say he just loses his front wing. An F1 front wing is like 100k, yes, yeah. something like that. Yeah, it's and crazy. Again, with a cost cap, if you're AlphaTauri, you're going to want to recover that cost if you can. Because yeah. then you can put that into car development. I mean, that pays, you know, that pays two good people's salaries for a year. You know what I mean? Like, so again, it, it gets way too complicated. Way too complicated. And, and I agree that it's only been talked about because of the top teams. Exactly. It's one of those things like this has been happening to the to the small teams forever. And mm. all of a sudden now, like that Red Bull, of, yes, of course, Mercedes at this like particular point, they look quite bad because, I mean, the Silverstone incident to me is like ridiculous. Like no one should be paying for that because it was just no. that kind of a bit of a racing incident. Yes, I think Lewis was, you know, we had a difference of opinion there. Lewis was a bit, a bit a little bit more at fault, but that no way should Mercedes be paying for Red Bull. Like that's, yeah, to me, it's just ridiculous. And like, how would you even ensure that in terms of, yeah, how would you, yeah, that's how much I'm going to pay compared to that. I get it when your driver gets taken out and it's a hundred percent, definitely not their fault. And then you're having to pay for it. I get that it feels unfair, but you just got to deal with it. Like that's, that's, yeah. that's sport. I mean, all right, fair and enough. Things, if, and things always come around as well. If a driver is like, purposefully, right, I'm going to crash into you and take you out. Maybe that's a slightly different conversation because then they should be like reprimanded to the highest order for that. Um, But when it's like, uh, again, like what happened with Stroll and and Bottas, I get that the drivers got took out. It wasn't Charles's fault. It wasn't Max's. It wasn't Sergio's fault. But I think that's just the way it is. And I think also about Hungary, like no one's talking about Aston Martin. They should be paying, they should be paying Ferrari. Apparently so. Like, we forget about that. Apparently Absolutely so. no. Apparently so. It's a, I get the idea, but it just it doesn't work at all, and it just opens up too many blurry lines. It does indeed. But that's that's it. Your selected tweets. Aldas, quickly, have you got a particular kind of thing you'd like to change? To me, actually, and it was something that was mentioned. To me, it's the calendar. I feel like it's getting out of hand, in my opinion. Mm. It's a little bit too crazy. Um, and actually, also, maybe aside from that, this might be a bit of a strange one, but the numbers on the cars and like in terms of the liveries, I think one thing that I remember from Silverstone as a fan, watching the Mercedes with the halos is kind of difficult to see the drivers. And sometimes the numbers are so difficult mm. to like to actually recognize and distinguish between the different drivers. And I think there should be something very clear and very specific in terms of who's who and like how the liveries are and what the numbers are. So yeah. just a little tweak there, in my opinion, I think it needs to be a lot more clearer. Maybe you could point. have the, with the 2022 cars with the wheel coverings. Because they're meant to be like LED potentially, maybe. Yeah. Be cool. um, my idea, I was watching a bit of IndyCar recently oh, really? and I love the IndyCar radios. They actually sound like fighter pilots. <laughs> Whereas these car- these F1 radios, you can barely hear the drivers. So better radios for the drivers, if you ask me. F1 just don't have the budget, mate. Just don't have the budget. I don't agree with that for a second. But there we go. <laughs> Thank you everyone for watching. Thank you everyone listening there's also a link in the description too if you can see us on the youtube channel you can see us wearing the nice green blotche hoodies so be sure to pick them up if you fancy welcome back alice good to have you back and from your sick note big big green ticks from that nice to be back and i guess we'll see you on the next one won't we